0: Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good to see you. You guys are looking good. I can't see you over in the family room, but welcome. Let's hear it for them. All right. Good to have you guys with us. Right on. Hey, it is uh, beautiful weather these days, and I don't know about you, but my Facebook is blowing up. It's blowing up with wedding pictures. Somebody is getting married. Somebody's in a wedding. Somebody's going to weddings. There's wedding pictures all over Facebook these days, and it, and it is wedding season. I've done a couple this season. I got a couple more, and uh, it's, it's great. In fact, somebody that we all know last night just played the part of Father of the Bride. So pretty cool stuff. Pastor Brad was off giving his daughter away, and uh, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, he, this is the second daughter he's married off this year, right? And so in this whole process of, you know, getting engaged and planning weddings and, and, and going to weddings, did he ever sort of feel like Steve Martin in Father of the Bride? You know, you remember that movie? There's this one scene where his daughter comes home and she tells them at the dinner table that she's engaged. Watch this clip we have for you this morning.
1: What? I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm engaged. I'm getting married. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my, my. <laughs> oh, so, oh, my. And that's your engagement ring, huh? Yes, yes. We got it at a flea market outside of Rome. The guy we bought it from said it was at least a hundred years old. Wow. So, Dad. Stop it. Say something. I'm sorry. What did you say, Dad? I met a man
0: in Rome and he's wonderful and brilliant. And we're getting married.
1: Mom, what's he doing? George.
0: Alright, so some of you have been there, right? Some of you may be there someday. I mean, that's the way life works. The, the, The little kids grow up. And that's good. I just did a wedding this last Tuesday for a gal that grew up right here at Lakeside Church, and it was beautiful. And you know, after 21 years of doing these things, there's one moment in every single ceremony that is my favorite and it never fails as i'm standing there and i see the doors open or i see the bride come into the wherever the wedding venue is and she starts walking down the aisle i'll look to my left because that's where the groom is and i'll look at his face and it is priceless And he's looking at her, and he's seeing her all decked out in her wedding dress. And she's coming down the aisle, and she's looking at him. And sometimes they're laughing. Sometimes they're smiling, and they're giddy. Sometimes they're crying. Sometimes they're like deer in the headlights. What are we doing? (laughs) And they come down the aisle, and they meet, and there's that precious moment. And in every single case, no matter who the couple has been, I see the same thing in their eyes. It's this unbelievable love that says, I accept you just as you are. And we know, we know the journey they're going to go on. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that it's not a, a picnic, right? It's difficult and it's, and it's tough. But in that moment, as they enter into this covenant of marriage, there is this beautiful, beautiful acceptance you know, it's no wonder that the scriptures use the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship as a picture of God's love and acceptance for us. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to change it. There's nothing we can do to make it go away. He simply loves us. And all he asks is that we come to him open-handed by faith alone to receive the grace that he has for us. This is the gospel. It's faith, no additives, nothing else. And that's what we've been talking about here this summer at Lakeside Church. If you've been with us, we've been on this journey through this New Testament book called Galatians, Paul's letter to this group of churches as he passed through this region, which is now Turkey, and he planted all these churches, and later on he's writing back to them. It's one of the earliest letters that he wrote. And the theme of Galatians is all about God's grace. It's grace. We don't deserve it. It's this idea that he loves us and accepts us. And we enter this relationship with him by faith alone in Jesus. And one of the things that we've learned throughout this journey this summer is that faith is powerful. Faith changes lives. I've been watching and, and, and listening as, as Brad's been sharing some of your 41-word stories. And you look on the table, and they're there. You look on Facebook, and they're there. And your stories are beautiful. They're powerful. I thought I'd, I'd wait till this morning to share my story with you. And so I'd like to share my 41-word story with you. It goes like this. Given to God for ministry, taught to trust Jesus, learning disabilities, Tourette's disorder, anxiety, and anger. Found acceptance and approval through sports, faith misplaced, lost, depression, substance abuse, bad relationships, grace. My brother, let, my brother showed me Jesus, and I'm found at the cross. For me, faith changed everything. Changed my life. You know, but sometimes we can get tricked. We get deceived, and we start thinking a little bit different than we should. We start thinking that it's faith plus something else to be accepted as a child of God. And that's exactly what happened to this little ancient church. They forgot one of the crucial and core truths of the gospel. Later on, the apostle John, another early follower of Jesus, a leader in the church, would write about this in his biography of Jesus, his gospel, the gospel of John, in the very first chapter. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. This is not just a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing, but born of God. And because they forgot this, this central truth of the gospel, this little church was divided, people were left out, injustice was being done, and their opportunity to show the world what Jesus was like was quickly fading away. And in some of the strongest language that we find anywhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, stop, stop what you're doing. I mean, normally the Apostle Paul will come along and he'll say, uh, you know, I'm thankful for you. You know, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. You know, that's the book of Philippians. And you, you read through his letters and he's always thankful and he's praying. But in the book of Galatians, he just gets right to it. And he says, hey, I'm surprised at you. I'm surprised that you are so easily led astray. In fact, you are following a gospel that's not really the gospel. And he says, stop. Stop manipulating. Stop controlling. Stop oppressing one another. You're losing your influence in the world. You're ceasing to be the light that you are called to be. And when it comes to the saving grace of God, this thing that we call salvation, stop adding to faith. And one of the overall lessons that we we learn from Galatians is that whenever we see acceptance by God as something more than faith in Jesus alone, human relationships are destroyed. But whenever we, as the church, as followers of Jesus, rally around the Savior in faith alone, I believe that that faith acts as a catalyst And that catalyst causes shockwaves to go out into the world through the church. And those shockwaves can change everything. They are shockwaves of faith. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at some of these shockwaves of faith. Paul is writing this letter, and the thing to remember about this little passage at the end of Galatians chapter 3 is that he's summarizing an argument. Paul has been arguing his case ever since early on in chapter 1, and so he gets to this point, this crescendo of his argument, and he says, when you follow Jesus in this way, and the church is united in faith alone, These are some of the things that are going to take place. He says in verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are are all children of God through faith. That's what we've been talking about. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, neither slave nor free, Nor is there male male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. It's interesting to note that he says, all who are in Christ are heirs. Heirs has to do with inheritance. It has to do with all the rights and privileges about what it means to be a child of God. And he says, by faith, all, everyone, everyone. You know, one of the most painful things in life that we experience, but it's so common, is the human experience of exclusion. We know what it's like to be left out, right? I mean, some of us learned that lesson early on early on, on the playground when we're not picked for that team, or, or maybe we're growing up and we're not invited to that party, or we're not invited to that prom, or maybe you're on Facebook and you're, you're looking on there and all your friends got together without you. And you're like, ah, I feel left out. And really, there's a million ways to have that sense of exclusion, but the result is always the same. It's painful. Rejection is always painful. And somehow, the storytellers, the good ones in our culture today... The novelists, the movie makers, the ones that tell the stories, they know how to weave this common human experience into their story. Sometimes it's a side theme, but sometimes it's the main theme of the movie, as was the case when I was watching this Disney Pixar movie with my kids, you know, recently this week, this movie called Monsters University, because even in the monsters world, rejection is painful. And so we have this little clip for you to see this morning.
1: (laughs) Hey, quiet. Quiet. Quiet down, you can wranglers. All right, on behalf of the Roars, yeah! we'd like to congratulate all the teams that have made it this far. All right, let's hear it for the pigs. Love that trick. Never gets old. Hiss! Very creepy. And finally, the surprise team of the Scare Games. Uzma Kappa! Come on, guys. Now, I got to admit, fellas, I thought you were a bunch of nobodies. But boy, was I wrong. Let's hear it for Uzma Kappa. What? The most adorable monsters on campus. Release the stuffed animals. Nobody reads the school paper.
0: Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they read the quad.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, would you like that? leave the four? Thanks. Tell your friends you think you're doing? Raising a little money for charity? Yeah, well, stop it. Do you want us to stop raising money for charity? That's not cool. This guy hates charity! I want you to stop making us look like fools. Hey, you're making yourselves look like fools. <laughs> Let's be honest, boys. You're never gonna be real scarers, because real scarers look like us. <laughs> but, hey, if you really want to work for a scare company, they're always hiring in the mailroom. Wait a second. Don't listen to him. We just need to keep trying. No, you need to stop trying. You can train monsters like this all you want, but you can't change who they are.
0: And we we know what that's like, right? You've been there. Somehow we get this thinking in our mind that comes from our culture that says, You've got to be a certain way. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to have certain things to be accepted. But the gospel, the gospel's different. The gospel says, come to Jesus by faith alone. And I get, I get that Jesus said it was a narrow road, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but he, he, his arms are open wide, and the invitation is for everyone. You see, with the gospel, there is radical inclusiveness. And this was the gospel that the Galatians had forgotten about. At the time that Paul is writing, there's incredible tension going on in the culture and in the church. Incredible tension. There's ethnic tension going on. Different people from different backgrounds are coming to Jesus, and they're sitting side by side in the pews of the church. Okay, there's not pews, but they're sitting together now, a part of one family. There's different uh, social groups. There's social tension going on, and men and women are sitting together in the family of God. What happens when all that begins to be melted into one family? There was incredible tension Paul is writing to the Galatians, and in this church, there are Jews and non-Jews. And while everyone believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one, he was the one that was supposed to come and save Israel, but not only Israel, the whole world, and transform everything. And while they believed that you placed your faith in Jesus alone, there were some missionaries that came in after Paul had left. There were some leaders in the church, and they said, well, actually, faith is good, but you got to also sort of become like us. And so there was these Jewish missionaries that came in and they said, you have to become Jewish, so to speak, and then you'll be fully accepted into the family, a full member with all the rights and privileges of a child of God. In some of the letters of Paul, we see that it's, it's, it's the food laws, and, and, and in some of the letters, it, it's, it's the days that they would observe, the holy days or the holy Sabbaths. And then in this one, in, in Galatians, it's primarily circumcision. And they're saying, okay, you guys, well, at least the men, you know, you, you got to be circumcised if you want to be full members. And Paul is saying, you guys have missed the whole point. Don't you get it? He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You are all one in Jesus. I don't believe that Paul is saying that ethnic diversity is bad. Ethnic diversity is beautiful. When Jesus sent out the disciples to preach and teach and make disciples of all the nations, literally in the Greek it says, to go into all the ethne, all of the ethnic. Groups, all of the peoples of the world. One day at the end of the story, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will surround the throne of Jesus and worship him. It's a beautiful thing. I think what Paul is saying is you need to tear down this boundary marker of who's in and who's out based on this. Tear it down. Quit oppressing one another because there is radical inclusiveness Jew and Gentile American and Iranian and Russian and African and Asian tear down the dividing wall One of the things that we need to do with the scriptures is as we read them and as we reflect on what's going on in the culture at the time, we need to come out of that reflection and reflect onto our own culture. And we need to ask critical questions of our culture through the lens of the gospel. And that's what Paul's doing here, radical inclusiveness. There is also social tensions going on. There's a clear hierarchy in the ancient world, and about one-third of them are at the bottom of it. They're slaves. And so what happens when a slave comes to Jesus, and now master and slave are sitting together on the same, in the same church? I mean, do the slaves get to serve? Do they have to cook the, pot, you know, the, the food for all the potlucks and serve everybody else? What happens when a slave has the gift of leadership and the master doesn't? What happens in that kind of a situation in that church? And how does this issue, when Paul says you're getting it wrong, there's neither slave nor free, how does that speak into the culture of the time and challenge the social structures of the day? Some social structures are radically evil. Some are just not helpful at all. Some social structures are helpful. I don't think any of us want to live in anarchy or chaos, right? We need some organization. But Paul is asking this church to reflect back on what they're doing and where they come from. The church is to be a light, it's to be a picture, it's to be a signpost of the future kingdom of God. And when the world looks at the church, it ought to see where humanity is meant to go. Oftentimes, it's the other way around. I've talked about before how there's this trajectory of liberation in the Scriptures. When you read the Scriptures and you follow what it does with humanity, there's this freedom and there's this liberation, and we carry that forward. Paul did it in his time. This was dangerous language for Paul. This was, this was stuff that would get him thrown in prison because to challenge the culture at the time that he lived in was dangerous. And at one point, he just writes to his friend Philemon and he says, Hey, your runaway slave Onesimus, accept him back as a brother, not a slave. There is liberation. Paul says that there is radical inclusiveness. There were also tensions. Of gender. The ancient world is patriarchal to the extreme. Both the Jewish culture and the Gentile culture is like this. And Paul says again, guys, you've got this wrong because we all come to the same table by the same faith and the same Jesus. And so the boundary markers that you've set up, that have been set up primarily by a male dominated society, now need to be done away with. You are a signpost of the future kingdom. And Paul says, the language changes. It goes from there's neither, uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. And then Paul says, neither is there male and female. And he's quoting from the book of Genesis, bringing it forward. Does he want maleness and femaleness to go away? I don't think so. I think that's a creational thing. It's a beautiful thing. But Paul's saying, hey, look, everybody has the rights and privileges in the family of God. We are all one around the same table. I believe what he's saying is that, yes, there's difference, but without distinction. And so males, lead and teach and use your gift out of your maleness. Females, lead and teach and use your gifts out of your femaleness, just the way that God created you. And this is the kingdom of God. This is what's pushing us forward. And we get to reflect this back out onto the culture instead of so often the other way around. And I believe what Paul is essentially doing in this passage is he's saying that our human systems for marking who's in and who's out should no longer have the power to oppress and divide us. The implications of this kind of faith become shockwaves that can literally change the world. But isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're working for? We want the world to change. We want our oikos to change those significant relationships that God's given us in our lives. Faith changes everything. If we reflect on this passage again, look down in verse 27. Paul uh, writes this phrase here. He says, all of you who were baptized, some of you here today, you've been baptized. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I believe what Paul's doing here is he's, he's alluding to this ancient ritual of baptism and the way that they did it. You know, at Lakeside, we do baptism too, and we tell the story of Jesus dying and rising again. It's a 41-word story, but with no words, and it's a beautiful thing. It's the gospel without words. It's a picture of what's gone on in somebody's life, and it tells the story of God's love for us through Jesus, and when we celebrate baptism, we have a huge party. I mean, we go out to a lake. Sometimes you do it on stage, and there's food, and there's relatives. We're videotaping. I mean, it is loud. It is crazy. I brought a picture of my daughter and I, I I baptized her recently, and we were celebrating. It's a cool thing. They did it a little bit different back in the ancient world. It was also a celebration, but sometimes they had to do it in secret. Sometimes, you know, it was fine. They did did it, uh, you know, in, in public, but what they would do in some of the churches is the person that's going to get baptized would show up, and they would have some clothes on, and they would take all their clothes off. Aren't you glad we don't do it that way now? Woo! Awkwardness, I'm telling you. And they would take their clothes off, and they wouldn't put them on again. Not those clothes. Those clothes represented the old life, the old self, the old humanity. And then they would step into the water, and they would tell their story of salvation, of how God had forgiven them, how God loved them so much that he accepted them, junk and all, And they would come out of the water, which represented a new life and resurrection. And then they would step out and somebody would be waiting there with a brand new set of clothes. And to be clothed in Christ, to be clothed in anything according to the scriptures, meant that you would take on the characteristics of that which you were clothed with. Sometimes the scriptures will say, be clothed with humility, be clothed clothed with righteousness. Paul is saying, be clothed with Christ. And they would put on those new clothes, and that would represent the new identity, the new humanity, the Jesus humanity that they now lived in. There had been a transfer of identity, and some theologians call it a new humanity. It's what Paul was talking about when he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me." It's what he meant when he said, "If any one is in Christ, the old is gone. That old self, that old way of being human is gone. New creation, New humanity. Sometimes it's referred to as new creation. And so part of what the church is doing is we're living into that new humanity and we're living out that new humanity. We are to be a signpost of where everything is headed. And the world gets that early glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth and what it ought to be like. And Paul writes to this little church and he says, live out the new humanity. Live it out. And he'll even describe it A couple chapters later in chapter 5, he'll describe just a little bit of what that's like. He calls it the fruits of the Spirit. Because the new humanity, the Jesus humanity, is love. It's joy. It's peace and patience. It's kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the only fruit of the Spirit that I believe you can't fake because when you need it, you need it, and it's either got to be there or it's not, self-control. Live it out, Paul says, and if you do, it will be a shockwave that changes everything. One more observation this morning. If you turn in your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 4, right at the beginning, Paul's going to start to mount a new argument. And I want to share this passage with you. It's one of the most beautiful passages, I believe, in the New Testament. And it tells a beautiful story. In verse 4 of Galatians 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, or we might say, in the fullness of time, or we might say, At the exact right time in all of human history, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions to sonship. Sonship doesn't have to do with being male or female. It has to do with inheritance. It has to do with all the rights and privileges of being a child of God by faith alone. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. What a gift. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Three of the most precious moments in my entire life have been when my three kiddos, each at their own time, each in their own turn, for the first time said the words, Daddy. I mean I just I, I just love that. I get I get all emotional I, I, every Christmas I put on the videotapes I still have videotapes and I just, you know plug them in and I and I watch you know of when my kids were little and my kids get all awkward dad all right and dad's crying again and what's going on you know and, and I just love it. I remember I remember coming home when they were little and I'd open the door and like guided missiles they would run towards me and jump into my arms and they'd say daddy daddy you're home. I missed you. Paul uses this Aramaic term Abba, Daddy. And I believe what he's trying to do there is he's he's describing the nature of what happens to our relationship with God when we trust by faith alone. The parent-child relationship is beautiful and it works best when they're when they are present with one another. And I believe what Paul is saying is that not only is God transcendent over all and all-powerful, but he is also God with us. There is a personal presence. And this is a shockwave that for you can change everything. And yes... The Christian life is difficult. The most difficult thing about the Christian life is that it's just so daily and it goes on and on and you have challenges and you have challenges but you never have to worry about God running away from you. You never have to worry about Him deserting you. There is a personal presence by His Spirit that He's poured out into our lives. Have you experienced the personal presence of Jesus in your life? My kids are, are getting older now, and I'm not daddy anymore. It makes me kind of sad. I'm dad. Hey, dad. What do you want, dad? All right, dad. Can I have some money, dad? You know, it's just, it's, it, and, and, and that's cool. You know what? They, they got to grow up, you know, and I'm on this mission. Holly and I are on this mission to make them self-sufficient and one day we pray that they will leave, you know, and we will go visit them. And that will be an amazing thing. But part of what we're doing is we're building a sense of lasting security in them. And we want them to know that we always love them, no matter what, even when they blow it. We're not always pleased with them, but we always love them. And, and I need that in my life. Because as we grow and as we experience adulthood in the Christian life, we need to remember that he is there. And there is always a place where unconditional love and acceptance is there. Maybe in your relationship with God these days, there there tends to be a sense of distance for you or or disconnect. Let Let me encourage you. Make this summer, it's the middle of the summer, what if you just simplified your faith this summer? What if you just came to God and said, you know what, I'm open-handed, I don't have anything else but faith in Jesus. Let's just start there. And you just spent some time each day this summer just coming to God saying, I don't have anything to give you, but I trust you and I know that you're there. And you simplified it. Earlier, I told you about my favorite moment at at weddings. I want to tell you about my second favorite moment. It's after the ceremony. It's after the meal. And in a lot of weddings these days, there'll be a dance floor. And at some point, there's this thing called the father-daughter dance. Father of the bride will get out there, and he'll dance with his little girl that's all grown up. And everybody around the dance floor uh, celebrates it. And, and, and so, some of the people around the dance floor know exactly what he's feeling because they've been there, and some of you have been there. And then others are like, I, I don't want to be there so soon. Don't rush it. But, but this, is, this is cool. But everybody, everybody knows that it's good. It's really good. What if you danced with God this summer? What if you just went to your Abba and said, hey, I just want to dance with you. I just want to enjoy my relationship with you. About four weeks ago, I decided that I needed more joy in my life. I said, this is going to be a summer of joy. And it's, it's actually been a lot of work to be joyful because my mind can kind of go the other way. I started... Um, I started uh, meditating and re-sort of memorizing uh, the book of Philippians. And it's been a great journey. And I'm sort of just halfway through, and I'm, I'm kind of going, God, I need joy in my life. I just want to dance with you, man. I want to I have that relationship rekindled with you. I want to encourage you to come to God. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's there. Come to him in that personal presence. And it will be a shockwave of faith that can change your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thanks so much for your amazing grace. Lord, you are faithful to always be with us no matter what. We thank you that we don't have to perform for you. We don't have to somehow work to be perfect or any of that, God, you know everything about us and you say, come to me and I will give you rest. And God, there is power in that and there is joy in that. And Lord, we get to celebrate that here at Lakeside Church. We get to celebrate that in our oikos. And God, I pray that that's exactly what we would do, that even now as, as we respond to you in this song, that we would celebrate your love for us. And so we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, let's all stand together and worship.